There is, there is an element of the end times church that I see. I, I was talking to a pastor that I cover in Ohio, and he called me this last week, or some, I think it was Friday evening. It was the day after Thanksgiving. He told me, he said, hey, what's the Lord saying in this hour? What's the word of the Lord? And I told him, I said, God is really dealing with me of an emphasis on watch. Catch this. On the spirit-filled praying church. The praying, spirit-filled, end-times church. Watch this. I believe that the remnant that will arise that will be endured with power will be the praying, spirit-filled church. A lot of ministries, and I'm not here to throw stones at ministries, y'all. I'm really not, though some of them need stones chunked at them. But we've gotten away from prayer. Because when I say church, I'm talking about the global church, which would include us, okay? The church has gotten away from prayer. And so over the next couple weeks, my heart is is to create and cultivate in you a hunger of prayer and intercession. I'll tell you, my life changed when I learned how to pray. I think it's the most amazing to me that when Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us. They didn't ask him to teach them how to raise the dead. They didn't ask ask him how to find favor with religious leaders and men. They didn't ask him how how to walk on water. They didn't ask him how to turn water into wine. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because it was in that moment that they realized everything Jesus was doing was flowing from his posture of prayer. Now catch this. If the church would grasp the concept, we don't need miracles. We need to learn how to pray, and when we pray, the miracles will come. Come on, somebody. We don't need better preaching. We need men of prayer. And when you got somebody that knows how to pray, I'm telling you, I learned how to pray before I ever learned how to preach. And a lot of times what you hear preaching is my vocabulary that I have in communion with God. I learned how to pray, and preaching began to flow from my mouth. 1 Timothy 2 and 8, I want to bring a message to you tonight that I will call Prayer 101. I want to teach a very elementary teaching on prayer tonight because this is what I understand. Some of you have been praying 30 years. Some of you have been praying, uh, you know, three days and some of you ain't ever prayed at all. And that's okay. But I believe that this message will strategically align us. My God, I feel this thing. Woo! To move forward with purpose, passion, and power in prayer. First Timothy 2 and 8. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and with doubting. Will you do something with me? Your hands may have something in it. Will you set it down? Will you do something so powerful? Will you lift your hands? And now this is what we need to do. Without wrath. In other words, if we've got anger in our heart towards anybody, resentment, bitterness, I want you right now just to pray and release that. Hallelujah. Just release it right now. God, I've released those people. God, I've released those things. Hallelujah. God, I'm not angry with anybody, God. Lord, forgive me for the times I do get angry with people, God, because you're the one that deserves every right, God, to be mad with me. But God, you ministered love to me. God, help me reciprocate that love, God. Lord, I release them. Come on, my God. 
Right now, we're releasing people. We're releasing offenses. We're releasing bondage. We're releasing strongholds that the enemy has tried to put in our hearts and minds. We're releasing it. We're saying, God, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord but him with clean hands and a pure heart? God, we release these things. We release these hurts. We release these disappointments. We release the betrayal. We release the jealousy. God, we come before you with no wrath. Now, God, you said in your word that every man's been given a measure of faith. And if we have the faith to see the size of a mustard seed, we can say unto this mountain, be ye removed, and it be removed. Father, we pray right now with hands lifted, no wrath, and only believing. That as we call out, we don't call out in this room. But our voice is heard in the courts of heaven. That as we say what we say, it falls on your ears. A God who has ears to hear. And Father, we thank you that as we make our petitions known by prayer and supplication that you hear us. So Father, right now as we pray, we ask God that your word would be established in the hearts and minds of this people. That we would not just be people that know about prayer, but we would become people of prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. You may put your hands down, tell somebody, say, here we go, here we go, here we go. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we do something? I believe a culture of the kingdom is a, and a key of the kingdom is honor. Can we give honor to our incredible worship team, media team, these guys? Come on. I believe in being a house of honor that we celebrate what God gives us, the gifts and, and ministers of the house. So, uh, so thankful for, for them and what they do and all of those that set up. we got to do that real quick. Can we give just a hand clap for those that come set up? Come on, come on. Every day or every week, day in and day out. Prayer, prayer, prayer. I want to um, ask you some, some things that, tonight. That my heart in this message is going to challenge you. And I'm going to even share an excerpt from a book that totally radically changed my prayer life. And I'll, I'll give you that book and the title in just a moment. Uh, and no, it wasn't the Bible for all you spiritual people. But it was absolutely saturated with the Holy Ghost. But where are the John Wesleys who said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And we will shake the gates of hell. Where are the David Reinhards who spent so much time in prayer that even the great Jonathan Edwards was convicted? Where are the Robert Murray McCains who, even though he died at the age of 29, was one of Scotland's most anointed preachers, causing people to weep before the preaching even began a word? Not emotionalism, I'm talking about anointing. Where are the Spurgeons who spoke with such great authority that his sermons are read more today than ever before? Where are the D.L. Moody's who brought America to her knees? Where are the Evan Roberts who, during the Welsh revivals of 1904 and 5, preached so powerfully against sin that people cried out, No more, Lord Jesus, or I'll die? Where are the Puritans like Richard Baxter who, with such humility, said, I speak as a dying man to dying men? Where are the John praying hides of today who say, Give me souls, O God, or I die? These are some of the generals of faith that I just shared with you and there is one commonality that every single one of these men that were shaking the nations back in the early 1900s there's one commonality that each and every one of these men uh, possessed and it was that they possessed a posture of prayer matter of fact it is um, 
It was John Praying Hyde who literally was called on and he went into Africa and, and uh, there was an outbreak of a disease. I think it was something like the measles or something at that time. And he was such a man of prayer. He goes in and he begins to lay hands on these people that he, or he wasn't supposed to touch. So I, I don't know, leprosy, something like that. You can research it. But he's laying hands on them and the people are being healed. They're being healed, being healed, being healed. And, and uh, scientists are in the area and they're studying this and they're like, how is it that this man, unquarantined, is going in, he's laying hands on people, and their lives are being completely healed, changed, and transformed? And so they bring him in. And they said, hey, we want to do some research because we're, we're seeing that something is happening when you pray for people. And so they took a vial of the, of, of the virus and put his hand under a microscope. And as, as praying Hyde stood there, they dropped the virus in his hand. And as they watched under the microscope, the virus died. What kind of power is that? I'll tell you what kind of power it is. It's power that's produced through prayer. And when Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. It's there that we understand that his closest people understood that what he was most passionate about wasn't power. It wasn't miracles. It was prayer. The Bible says that Jesus often withdrew from the multitude to give himself to prayer. We find consistently through scripture that Jesus is disappearing to get away from ministry and to get at the feet of the Father. And see, I, I want you to understand something, that if we're going to be a true church of power, then we have to be a true church of prayer. That if we're going to be people that see signs, wonders, and miracles, we cannot look for signs, wonders, and miracles. we got to seek Jesus. we got to be fully aware in prayer of what God's wanting to do. And let me tell you this, signs, wonders, and miracles will follow. Prayer, prayer. So where is the first place that prayer is mentioned? In Genesis 4, 26, it says that it was there that men began to call on the name of the Lord. The word there, call, in this context, the Hebrew word is gara, G-A-R-A which may be translated, catch this, in a, number of many, in a number of many ways, but I want you to get this. This is so powerful. It means to call, to call out, to shout, to recite, to proclaim, or to summons. And here is an expression of dependence and trust. It, that is, it's from this point on that men began to summons God through prayer for strength and direction in their physical and spiritual lives. See, I, I don't know if you know much about the courts, but the court system, if you ever get summonsed, it's a summons that, that makes you, that mandates you, that, be, that, that puts a demand on your life to be at a certain place. And when God chose a word for men to begin to call on him, he chose the word gara. It's this place that men began to gara upon the Lord. They began to summons God. Watch this. When we begin to pray, what is prayer? It is a calling on to the Lord. But when we begin to pray, it's a summonsing. We literally serve the courts of heaven with a summons that says, God, I need you here. I need you now. Your attention is needed, whether it's in my marriage or in my home or in my children, in my finance. When you begin to call on the name of the Lord, you begin to summons. You begin to put a demand on God to show up. And see, a lot of us, we want God to show up, but we're never putting in the labor to summons him to come. The book that I read that radically changed my prayer life was a book written by Leonard Ravenhill called Why Revival Tarries. 
And I want to read an excerpt from this that I believe that the church of America needs to grasp. It says that no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talent, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. The two prerequisites of every successful Christian living are vision and passion, both of which are birthed and maintained by prayer. Passion and vision, both are which birthed and maintained by prayer. So, prayer 101. Who can pray? You know, is, is prayer something really for just super religious people? People, maybe you got to have a certain garment. You know, I don't have a collar on my neck. I can't pray. You know, some, that's literally the mentality of some people. Well, I don't, you know, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a degree. I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been to cemetery, wherever. And, 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 and what you'll find out is that the who of prayer is that it, it, literally we just read in 1 Timothy as he says, I wish that men everywhere. So here's the reality of it, that if you're a child of God, you are called, you are, you are desired to be a person of prayer. He said, I wish for men everywhere, everywhere. So who can pray? I'll tell you who can pray. You can pray. You can pray. And, and, and you say, okay, well, I can pray. Well, where can I pray? Or what can I pray? Or when can I pray? I want to answer some of those questions tonight. So let's talk about the what. What what do you pray? Here you go. If you're going to become a person of prayer, the first prayer that needs to really be prayed is the prayer of repentance. You know, a lot of times we'll teach people in prayer and we just tell them, oh, just repeat after me. And don't get me wrong. I believe God moves in those things because God laughs at the plans of man. And so he, you know, uses the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. But God does not hear the prayer of a sinner unless it's a prayer of repentance. You didn't like that, so I have to show you in the Bible because the truth of it is a sin stops prayer. Some of you pray, but when you pray, you feel like God doesn't hear your prayers. The truth is, is he really might not hear them. Maybe there's something in your life, sin, that is stopping God. Watch, I'm going to show you. John 9 and 31. And we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. So what to pray if you're going to be a person of prayer? And here's the thing. You can be walking with the Lord 18 years, 20 years, 30 years. But, you know, I love the fact that the heart of David, that he would come before the Lord, and here he is, a man after God's own heart, and he would pray prayers like this. Search my heart, O God. And if there's any unclean thing within me, take it from me, but remove not your Holy Spirit. What did David do? He repented. 
He, he, he called on the Lord to search his heart, to remove sin, to, to destroy the yokes of bondage that may be in his life. Why? Because David needed not only to, to, for God to hear him, but he needed to hear God. And so he removed the blockage. And so if you're going to pray, the first thing that we need to pray is we need to pray from a place of repentance. God, search my heart. Clean my heart. Remove any unclean thing within me so that we can then, from the moment of repentance, we can then begin to summons God. God, I need you to move in my life. God, I need you to deliver me from this. God, I need you to remove this from my life. God, I need this in my life. God, I, I, I move on this person. God, heal this cancer. God, destroy this yoke. God, take this person out of office and put this person there. Whatever your prayer is, but we have to start and position our heart from a place of repentance because repentance humbles us. It lets us know that there is an absolute, uh, uh, um, 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 not not just a demand, but a denying. We're not just putting a demand on God, we're putting a denial on ourselves and saying like, I'm not worthy to be here, but the blood of Jesus says I'm worthy. So I proclaim and profess the blood of Jesus over my life that destroys the yoke of every sin so that I may boldly come to the throne of grace in a time of need that I might obtain mercy. So, where do we pray? You know, some of y'all, you watch that movie, Prayer Room, or Prayer, War Room, I'm sorry, War Room. And so you went home and you, you like took all your clothes out of the closet. Your husband's like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm, I'm doing something. And uh, some of you dudes maybe did too, you know. And then you went in there, you pinned up posters of Jesus, you know, the Jesus that looks like he was at Woodstock, 1960. Really white Jesus. I'm sorry. Idol Jesus. Put him up there. Oh, y'all don't like this. This is good. And you lit little candles. And it was an extreme fire hazard because you're in a five-by-eight closet and now you're burning things. And like some of you, you put incense in there because you didn't understand they're, they're tied to the occult and all kinds of things. And you laid out a rug. Come on, I'm coming for some of y'all. Your husband's like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm preparing a place of prayer. And now the candles are still in there and clothes are piled on them. The pictures are falling off the wall. And what you'll find out is from the movie War Room, and don't get me wrong, it's an incredible movie, great movie. But it spurred this place of prayer mentality, and people really did. They started cleaning out their closets and creating what you know their war rooms. And that's cool, man. That's, there's nothing wrong with having a place. My place is extremely anointed. So, I mean, it's very anointed. Matter of fact, it's not just anointed, it's manly. Like, it's got twin turbos in it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, it can haul 14,000 pounds. Honestly, my truck is my greatest place of prayer. I find out that I speak the best with God when I, it's just me and Jesus, no radio on. Just me and the Lord riding down the road, and I talk to him, he talks to me. And it's there that I know it's in that place of isolation that God has my full devotion. See, that is the, the, the concept of these war rooms was a place of isolation for devotion. That we got to go in a place and shut a door, and we got to eliminate the distractions, and we got to be able to talk with God and hear God. But, but you got to understand something. Um, the secret place 
is what it's really about. And the secret place, here's the secret about the secret place. It's not really a place. It's more of a posture. It's more of a position. Those that hide under the wings of the Almighty. See, it's more of a posture than a place. And that is the secret of the secret place. So whether it's a prayer closet, but the most vital place for prayer to take place is in a place called submission. So hear me. Where do you pray? Wherever you can get submitted before God. So that can be your vehicle. That can be your house. It definitely ain't your house if you got three kids like I do. Like, you got to go to the woods. You can go to a tree stump somewhere. And you can kneel down in prayer. But the, but the point of prayer is having a place where you can be submitted before God. Where you can hear God and you can speak to God as a friend. And you can tell Him what's heavy on your heart, what's heavy on your mind. But here's the key, here's the key. You don't get to bring your distractions in with you. Take the phone, put it on Do Not Disturb. Turn off the music. You know, you, with somebody like, I just want music playing. Then you get distracted. It's prayer. It's not worship. Oh. Mm. You can get there. You can get there. We play music during prayer. <laughs> but what I'm talking about is in a place of real prayer where all you're focused on. Come on. Some of you real spiritual people that play a lot of music when you pray, you know you be singing the song sometimes. You over there. God wants to hear your heart, not your melody. It was Seth Joshua who once wrote, all prayer is hidden. It's behind a closed door. The best spade diggers go down into the deep ditches out of sight, and there are numbers of surface workers, but few who will in self-abolition toil alone with God. Matthew 6 and 6 said, but when you, when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I want to tell somebody tonight that God has called you to be a person of prayer, but you got to learn to shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. What does the door closing symbolize? The door closing symbolizes that I don't have time for everything that's going on out there. I've got to call on to God. I got to talk with Him and I got to hear Him. So I got to shut the door. When you've gone into your room, shut the door. I think a lot of us, we pray, but we forget to shut the door. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you'd be praying and all of a sudden, ding, ding. So and so liked your photo. Ding, ding. So and so followed you and you're like, hold on, God, real quick. Man, I've been, I've been trying to talk to him for a hot minute, and now all of a sudden I'm getting his attention, Lord. Shut the door. Eliminate the distractions. Remove the things which so easily entangle your mind so that your mind can be set on him. Matthew 10 and 27 says this, though. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout it abroad when the daybreak comes. And one translation said, what I tell you in the dark, speaking in the daylight, what I whisper in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. Where are the rooftop preachers? I'll tell you, we don't have many rooftop preachers anymore because we ain't got no more dark night prayers. That if we'll learn to shut the door, let's be honest, y'all. We are in a world that wants to be seen. 
It is made up of how many followers you got? How many? Come on, somebody. Oh, he's got a check mark next to his name. He's validated. <laughs> what if the secret of the kingdom is how do I operate and not be seen? What if, what if, what if the secret of the kingdom is how do I go about this not to be heard but to hear? Because he said, watch this, he said, what I tell you. See, a lot of times in prayer, we want, I'm going to tell God something. Really? God, I need you to tell me something. Like, I'll just shut up. I've prayed like that literally before. I went and said, God, I ain't got nothing to say. You, you tell me what you got to say. I'm done talking. I'm done messing it up. I'm done breaking this relationship. You tell me what you got to say. And I just sit there. And you know what's funny? God will make you wait at least 30 minutes. He will. He will. He'll be like, all right, you can't wait 20 minutes on a, on, on a, double, a double burger. Let's see if you wait 30 on me. So you got to sit there at least 30 minutes. So if you're ever going to pray like that, at least give God 30 minutes. Now watch. He probably just changed it all up. You're going to make us all wait an hour now. But we, gotta, we find out that he says, what I whisper in your ears, shout it from the rooftops for all to hear. So where do we pray? I want to talk about where we pray. And these are really important things. Can I tell you the first place, an altar that really needs to be rebuilt is the family altar. Let's be honest. I think we're really good at praying in church. But the problem is, is we isolate a church to a place and not a people. And if we would realize that the church is not a place, it's a people, then when we get home, we would realize that we have a whole congregation that's never really led. See, failing here, we fail ourselves. The statement is true that a family that prays together stays together. Now let me speak to the men in the house. Men, you are responsible for your family. You are the priest of your home. Can I, can I challenge you? Because the Bible tells us that, men, we're, we're, the, we're the priest of our home. Can you imagine if you were a part of the church, a church, this church? Let's use this church because you're here tonight. And you showed up and you were here for like two years, three years, and you never heard me pray. You never, you, I, I never, I never positioned myself in prayer. You never caught me praying. Nothing. There was never a moment of prayer. And there was never a challenge for me for you to pray. And, and, and you, you would, I'm imagining that if you showed up and I never prayed, you would sit there and be like, what's wrong with that guy? Like, he's supposed to be a pastor. Watch this. Man, if we're the priests of our homes, what are our families thinking about us? Are we showing up as ministers in our home and we're never really spiritually leading? Because the Bible demands that we'll not just be held accountable for ourselves, but even in our households, that we've been given rule in that spiritually as well. Small groups. I, I love, you know, there's a movie that's really not saved at all, so don't, if it was years ago, came out, then don't go watch the movie. It's not good. God's not in it. But it was a movie called Fight Club, and it was an underground fighting ring. And, uh, you know, I took that concept, though, that was there because it was really cool because it was a camaraderie of men that would gather together and they would fight. And, but I took it, actually, and created a men's ministry out of it called the Men's Ministry Fight Club because we wanted to fight the good fight of faith. 
But you know, as I was in study over this message, God, God began to deal with me about the concept of, of, of small club, small club, small gathering, you know, life groups, home groups, home churches. And, and I got the idea of this underground ring of, of holy prayer clubs. Like what would happen? Where would we pray? What would happen if we didn't just pray at home with our family? But what would happen if we had a small group? And I know there's some of you like Miss Joyce that has it. She's got like a holy fight club that runs out of her house. And, and, and you can literally like go there and gather together. There may be three people there. There may be four people. We're going to fight. We're going to fight on our knees and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to pray for me. And we're going to pray for, for each other. Can you imagine what would happen if a ring of spiritual fight clubs began to hit the city of Sumter? My God. And all of a sudden, we started fighting the spirit of addiction. We started fighting the spirit of abandonment. We started destroying the works of darkness. Principalities were coming down. And we watched and see Satan flee and run. Can you imagine what would happen if these holy fight clubs would begin together and there was three or four of us and we just gather and all we do maybe one hour on, on, on a Thursday night we just pray so where do we pray sometimes prayer with other people is the best prayer the Bible said it this way he said surely I tell you if any two shall touch and agree on one thing it shall be done and God is not man that he shall be able to lie so if we pray and we pray according to the will of God and you touch in agreement with me, then, then God says it's going to be done. See, the truth of it is, is one puts a thousand to flight, but two ten thousand. There's some things that I can't fight by myself on my knees. And I need some prayer warriors, some prayer partners that will join with me and say, Brother, I'm going to believe with you for your marriage. I'm going to believe with you for your job. I'm going to believe, sister, I'm going to believe with you for those lost children. I'm a, we're going we're gonna to grab hold of the horns of the altar tonight. And we're saying, God, we ain't letting go until you move. God, we are putting a demand. We are summonsing you. What would happen in dominion if we started to pray and said, God, we're going to be people of prayer. And we're not going to back up on prayer until you start to shatter the works of darkness in the city of Sumter. God, we want to see things change in this city. And we're willing to be people that will pray for it to change. The third place that I would tell you where to pray is the congregational setting. See, everyone seems to come here with some spirit, spirit of prayer. But the truth is, it's not manifesting in the home you can't show up to church with it. So you have to obtain it in the secret place before you ever possess it. I think a lot of us come to church with the mentality, oh, you know, we'll pray, we'll sing a couple songs, the pastor will preach. But when we are called to be people of prayer, then prayer is not something we show up to. Prayer is something we show up with. So when we are people of prayer, we show up already. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Show up in prayer. Already praying, believing for signs. We pray, we've prayed so much, we show up with expectancy. And when you step in the room, you find out everybody else has been praying. Because you can feel it. It's tangible. The anointing is The anointing is settling in the room. You can feel it. You know that somebody's been in the prayer closet with you. But you'll never be a person of prayer if you think prayer is a place you show up to. Prayer is a posture that you hold. We hold a posture of prayer, and then we become people of prayer. And prayer is obtained in the secret place, but what is found in the secret place can be proclaimed on the rooftops. Lastly, 
Lastly, why? Why do we pray? Because it's simple. Prayer is our communication with God in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, for the married folk in this house, engaged folk, dating folk, whoever you are, can you imagine, honestly, how any relationship would work if you never talked to each other? Some of y'all got a marriage like that. And you could tell me how bad it is. My marriage is bad. Why? Well, we just don't never talk to each other. Can you imagine? If that's a natural relationship, why would you expect your spiritual relationship with the Lord to be any different? Why pray? I'll tell you why. Because my God, I got to stay in a posture of intimacy with the lover of my soul. Like the one who loves me and is for me. The one that goes to war for me. The one that has brought back the head of my enemies. I got to stay in a constant form of communication. I got to talk to him and I got to listen to what he's saying because this is a relationship that is being forged in a line of communication. Here's the incredible part. You don't have to be super spiritual. To be a person of prayer. But you can't be a person of prayer and not become somebody that's super spiritual. Woo! Why pray? Psalms 2 and 8 tells us an incredible reason of maybe just one of the hundred of scriptures that start out close to this statement, ask of me. But why pray? He said, ask of me, and I shall give, or I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possessions. I want to read it out of the King James Version. It says, ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thy inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Stand with me all over the house. Why pray? Why pray? The incredible part of Psalms says, ask of me. And I think it's a concept that we all need to understand that there are things that are accessible, but they're not accessible without asking. And see, I would challenge you tonight to say, what is it that God's got for you that the only reason why you don't have it is because you haven't asked for it? He said, you have not because you ask not. So why pray? I'll tell you why to pray. Because it's through prayer that we find out that God has some incredible riches, some incredible promises, some powerful things that he wants to do through your life. But until you get to a place where you're constantly asking him, it'll never be accessible. Ask of me. And I'll give the heathen. It's your inheritance. You know, as I was reading that scripture, I really feel like it's a promise for Dominion Church. What do we want? God, give us the heathen. Give us the broken. Give us the hurting. Give us the lost, the last, and the least. Give them to us, God. Will you join with me right now in prayer? I feel this thing. Just pray with me. We're praying. We're saying, he said, ask of me and I'll give the heathen as an inheritance. Come on, God, we want, the, we want the heathen, God. We want the ones that are hurting, that are in need of you. 
God, we want the ones that are lost and undone, whose back's against the wall, whose knees are against the rock, God. They're at the bottom, God. We want the ones that don't want you, Jesus. Give us the unchurched. Give us the hurting. God, allow us to be the Spirit-filled praying church that you rise as a remnant in these last days, that we will see a great harvest, such a harvest that eye has not seen nor has ear heard, nor has it even entered into the mind what you have prepared for those that love you. God, give us these these things. Give us these people. Father, you said in your word that you would give us the heathen as our inheritance, but God, you also said, in the uttermost parts of the earth for our possession. God, you want us to take dominion, to establish it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. God, you have not placed us to the boundaries of Broad Street. God, you have not limited us to the room at at, at the conference center at the Quality Inn. But God, you said that there are things, there are places you want us to possess as a people. So God, we come together right now in prayer. We say yes to the promises of God. We say yes to the will of God. We say yes to the Spirit of God. We say yes, God. We say yes to the Word of God. Live and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we pray and we ask that you would raise up people of prayer right here in this house. God, but not in this house, but God, you would raise us up in our own houses. And God, from those houses, groups would begin to be established. Cell groups that could take out every enemy over the city of Sumter. And out of that cell group, God, that you would begin to create, Father, congregational prayer warriors that would gather in this place at 5 p.m. and they would shake hell and establish heaven in this place. Father, help us to shut the door. Help us to shut the door. With every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room, you're here tonight. And what I said really pricked you. It pricked your heart. When I told you that part that God doesn't hear your prayers because of sin. Some of you, one of you at least, I know by the Spirit of God and the sound of my voice, it cut you to your heart and you said, oh my God, that's why. That's why I've been praying and God doesn't, I feel like God don't hear me. I'll never be a preacher that recognizes problems and not give you a solution. Here's the incredible antidote. The Bible says... That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, the truth is is that we've all been born into sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But there is a prayer that can be prayed that establishes your identity in Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Will there be struggles? Yeah. Will there be temptations? Yeah. Will there be trials? Yeah. Will there be failures? Absolutely yes. But we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. First John said it this way, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, tonight if there be one under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as the Lord, my God. The Spirit of God is dealing with you. If you're here tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed. 